Hello, my name is Thomas Berezovsky, and I'm the director of Two Journeys Ministry. If you find Andy Davis's content helpful and you want to help us disseminate free gospel-centered content, please prayerfully consider donating to Two Journeys. All end of your gifts will be matched up to $20,000. Please visit the donate page on twojourneys.org for more information on how to donate. Thank you. Welcome to the Two Journeys podcast. This is part two of episode 42 in the book of John, entitled Resurrection Morning, where we discuss John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. I'm Wes Treadway, and I'm here with Pastor Andy Davis. Andy, what are we going to see in these verses today? Well, this is the, the, the greatest event in human history. Nothing is more significant than this, although it's very hard for me to differentiate between the death and the resurrection of Jesus. They're all one package. But to me, the resurrection of Jesus absolutely clinches the truth of the Christian faith. So we're going to go through John's incredible account. And I really look at it from an evidence point of view. We're going to start with the physical evidence and we're going to talk about relationship uh, evidence. Uh, By that, I mean eyewitnesses who testified that they actually had encounters with Jesus. Mm -hmm. But both of them are going to point ultimately, and it's not in this chapter, but ultimately to the highest evidence of all, and that's fulfilled scripture. As it says, they still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. It's all going to come down to scripture because that's what we get. So we'll talk about all that. We don't get to look at the empty tomb or Mm. whatever, but we get it from scripture. So we're going to get scripture's testimony to the resurrection of Jesus. Mm, Praise God. Well, for our purposes today, let me go ahead and read chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. 
So after verse 10, where we see the disciples going back to their homes, 11 through 18 give us this picture of mm -hmm. Mary and her interaction yep. with Jesus. Mary's here. The disciples have gone. Mm -hmm. Uh, why was Mary still crying outside the tomb? She believed Jesus was dead. Hmm. Don't you think? No. She thinks, I mean, you go back to the first thing she says here in the in the chapter, um, verse 2. Hmm. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Yeah. Does she think he's alive? Is he locomoting with his own resurrected feet? No. no. He's been dragged somewhere or lifted or some, some abuse has come to his body and mm. she's just, so she loves him dearly. She misses him maybe more than anyone. She's weeping for him, but she doesn't believe in the resurrection. Yeah. And so um, it's really quite remarkable. She's just looking in there. She can't make any sense of the evidence. And uh, here's, here's a very plain example, and I wrote about this in my book, Infinite Journey, of how emotions can be messed up. Emotions are, are based on perceived truth, not actual truth necessarily. Sometimes perceived truth and actual truth are the same thing. Your perceptions are real. Sometimes that happens, hmm. but sometimes they're not. And so if you truly believe that someone you love is dead, even if they're not, your grief is going to be absolutely appropriate, just completely ill-founded. Hmm. And so it's good for me to think about that in terms of my emotional life. I need to get my emotions on the solid ground of biblical truth. And so here's a very emotional woman, and she surely loves Jesus, but she doesn't yet believe that he has risen from the dead. Hmm. And so it's really remarkable. This, I would have to say, I, I think it is the happiest day in redemptive history, short of the second coming of Christ. Hmm. The sin, and, and, and that day is going to be a day of carnage, a day of judgment and all that. So it's going to be quite an interesting day. Uh, great for us to see his triumph, but still lots of death and lots of judgment. But this is just a simply, just simply a happy day. Mm. It's the happiest day. There is no happier day than this one. Happier than the day of Jesus' birth. And she's there weeping on it. Yeah. And she's singled out among all the women in redemptive history to stand in front of the empty tomb and then turn in a moment and see the resurrected Lord. And she's weeping. Yeah, you mentioned her statement at the beginning of the chapter. I think even, you know, even more evidence that she's not sure that Jesus is alive, doesn't think he's alive, mm -hmm. is she She asks him, himself, yeah. what have you done with him? Where have you taken yeah, where him? Where have you yeah, taken so him? We'll, we'll get there in just weeping. a moment. Yes. But, you know, what do you think of the two angels' position that's mentioned here? Why does John tell us how they're positioned? Yeah, it's it's amazing. These angels are radiantly dressed in white, so they're they're glowing, they're bright. But I don't think their glory is full on. It's like not full on, you know, night that Jesus was was born, where the the night becomes as day kind of thing. It's like, you know, but they're dressed in white, so there's this radiant display. Their appearance was like lightning. It says in one place, but I don't even know that these were that bright. But their positioning is noted by John, and you have to imagine in John's gospel. Nothing's wasted. That's right. When when Judas takes the bread and goes out and John says, and it was night, means something. Mm -hmm. He doesn't actually tell you what it means. He just says it. So he lets the theologians and the exegetes kick it around. Here we've got two angels, one at the head and the other at the foot of Jesus. And some commentators have linked this to the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant, in which there were two cherubim whose wings extended over the mercy seat. And there, above 
the cherubim above the mercy seat, there I will meet with you. There Moses heard the voice of God speaking. It was from that locality. The omnipresent God speaks from that place. So he's teaching, that's the place where I meet with you. That's the place where I, a holy God, will interact with sinful man. Well, now we have the fulfillment of the mercy seat. And it's on the body, the crucified but now resurrected body of Jesus, the finished work of this of the Savior. Crucifixion plus resurrection, that's where I'll meet with you. Yeah. So I think that's what's being said by the two angels, one at the head, one at the feet. Yeah, it's amazing, even as we've been walking through 1 Corinthians 15, just to be reminded of the importance of the resurrection, right? Yeah. Not to minimize the importance of Christ's substitutionary death on our behalf, yeah. but to see that always yeah. coupled with his resurrection, right? His defeating of death. Yeah, I mean, you can start everything to some degree with the resurrection. And it's like, we believe in a resurrected hmm. spiritual leader. It's like, resurrected, what does that mean? Well, he was dead. Well, why did he die? Good question. Let's talk about that. And you can just kind of reverse engineer the thing. Yeah. So you can start everything with the resurrection. Let me tell you the most incredible person that ever lived. Somebody who died and was raised from the dead on the third day. And he was seen by many witnesses. And he's the only one in history. Let's talk about it. So we can do everything from the resurrection. It's pretty mm, powerful. That is. What do the angels ask Mary, and what does her answer show about her faith and her love for Jesus? Verse 13. Here. Well, they ask, why are you crying? And since Jesus also asked it, we'll talk about that in a moment, why are you crying? Woman, why are you crying? There's a, there's a, a little bit of a mild rebuke, okay? This is not crying day. This is rejoicing day. Yeah. And so it's just not appropriate for you to be crying. It's, it just makes no sense. So why are you crying? And then her answer, they have taken my Lord away. My Lord. He's dead. She thinks he's dead. They have taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they have put him. He's not raised from the dead yet, not in her mind. And so therefore, you see her strong faith. He, she still believes that the dead Jesus is her Lord, but she's not ready to believe his words. Hmm. On the third day, he will rise again. She's not looking for a resurrection. She's not even thinking it's a possibility. She's just looking for the corpse. And uh, so she's, she's looking for the, the body of Jesus. And this next scene is incredible. So she mm -hmm. turns from this interaction with the angels mm -hmm. and she sees Jesus. Mm -hmm. And Jesus again asks her that question, why are you, why are you weeping that you just mentioned? Mm -hmm. And she thinks he's the gardener. What did Mary suggest to the gardener? And how does this show that she still oh. thought Jesus was Isn't that just one of the great little statements in, in all the Bible? Thinking yeah. he was the gardener. But he's not. Right. <laughs> he's not, not even kind of. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. He's yeah. the coming, coming king in glory, and he's going to sit on the throne and judge every human being who's ever lived. But he's not He's not just the gardener. Yeah. Um, but So uh, how John knows this, maybe just directly through the Holy Spirit, or maybe Mary told him, I thought he was the gardener. It's like, you thought he was the gardener. But again, Jesus says to her the exact same thing the angels do. And some one commentator has noted and I just love this, is how Jesus and the angels are on exactly the same page. Mm. They, they say the same words. Woman, why are you crying? Yeah. And then Jesus, a little further, who is it you are looking for? Mm. And so she, thinking he was the gardener, said, Sir, if you have carried him away, if you're the one who dragged Jesus away and put him somewhere, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. You just have to picture a woman carrying by herself a dead man's body. 
and how unseemly that would be and how I don't know if she'd have to go and get help or what I don't she's not thinking clearly yeah she's simply not and what does she want to do put Jesus back in the tomb why would you want to do that but anyway that's just where her mind is at she still isn't ready to believe now keep in mind some have said they'll they'll ask now if Jesus really rose from the dead why didn't he show himself to the skeptics the disciples were the skeptics even his own yeah Peter didn't mm-hmm. believe yet Mary didn't believe so he did show himself to the skeptics. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so that unbelief coupled with her grief is just overwhelming and keeps her from seeing Jesus yeah. for who he is when she turns around. Mm-hmm. What does Jesus use to pierce the mm-hmm. fog of her unbelief? Single word, maybe in the Aramaic, Miriam, translated Mary, her name. And I just can't help but think about John 10, my sheep, hear my voice, I know them, I call them by name, and they follow me. And so, and Jesus does, sometimes he repeats, Simon, Simon, Satan, you know. Um, and, you know, he, he knows us by name. And again, it goes to, um, fundamentally, the, the single most important thing in the universe is this one thing, does Jesus know you? Mm. And if he does, you're spending eternity with him. He's not gonna lose you. It's far more important than do you know Jesus? You know, it's like, go away from me. I I never knew you. So the sovereignty here. And so again, you think about who Mary is going to be in the kingdom. What role she's going to play. Is she going to stand up and preach on Pentecost that Christ is risen? No, that's, that role isn't given to women and it's not given to Mary. What role is she going to have from now on? Looks like none. I mean, from this day on, I don't know that she did anything significant. Mm. And yet Jesus is spending time just with her, Jesus and Mary. And so she represents an average disciple who Jesus knows intimately and will do whatever he needs to do to save. So in the end, I I just keep going to that beautiful statement that Paul made in Galatians 2.20, who loved me and gave himself for me, that personal savior, Jesus knows knows you by name and so he says mary and she knows immediately who he is Hmm. and that does it that finally Mm -hmm. pierces through that fog of unbelief that's been Mm -hmm. uh, resting over her what does mary do when jesus speaks her name and and why the text says she turned toward him so she had turned away she's been talking to him and so she's just all over the place so she's turned away from him you know even though she's having a conversation with the gardener She's facing away. And then, so she turns back and um, cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And and from my knowledge of of Hebrew, which is very similar to Aramaic, the the little I ending is more personal than John tells us, my teacher. Mm. Um, It's it's very personal. That's what the I ending means in, in in the Semitic language. So my teacher and you know, and you know, my Lord, she had said earlier, um, they've taken my Lord from the tomb. So she's very intimately connected with him in faith. And so she, it seems like, I think she fell to the ground. I think she fell to his feet and she's grabbing on to his feet. Yeah. Um, and uh, one commentator said, it's almost like she's, she's, she never ever wants to let him go again. It's like, you know, you can't go anywhere. I'm going to be with you forever. We're going to, I'm going to hold on to you. At not, this letting you I'm not letting you go again. <laughs> not so letting you go. Not letting you out of my sight. Mm. Mm-hmm. 
So, kind of along those same lines, why do you think Jesus tells her not to cling to him? And what did he mean by, I've not yet ascended to the Father? Well, he's going to go away. And um, he's going to go away forever. Uh, I mean, to the end of redemptive history. Um, she can't hinder his plans. It's not going to be like it was. He has to go and send the counselor, the comforter. And so he, she, he reminds her, I've got to ascend to the Father. You can't, you can't hold on to my foot. All right, so I'm going up through the clouds, and the cloud is going to hide me, hide me from uh, the sight, and you can't hold on. But I am going to give you something to do. I'm going to give you the task of going to my brothers and mm. going back to them and telling them I'm returning to my father and your father, to my God and your God. It's an amazing statement. We'll talk about that. But yeah, anyway. let's talk more about All right. that. All right, well, the intimacy. Jesus earlier called them friends. Hmm. You know, you're not slaves only because a slave doesn't know his master's business. From now on, I'll call you friends. Now he's calling them brothers. That's the highest name. We are in Jesus' family. As, as it says, he is not ashamed to call us brothers, mm. which he sh- you know, should be at one level because we're sinners. But in Hebrews 2, it says he's not ashamed to call us brothers. And so um, also, as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Or the Father himself loves you like he loves me. So we have this intimate connection with the Father through Jesus. So um, he says, I'm going to my uh, father and your father, the same, my God and your God, because of this redeeming work now, we are in the same relationship with God the Father mm. together. It's yeah. pretty awesome. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. So Andy, how does this account end and what mm. final thoughts do you have on these first 18 verses of chapter 20? Well, Mary goes to the disciples with the news, I've seen the Lord, and she told them everything. According to the synoptics, they didn't believe her. <laughs> they thought, you know, and remember the two disciples on the road to Emmaus? Some of our women had been to the tomb and they said they'd seen him. We don't know what to make of it. Everybody was like in a fog that day. Yeah. <laughs> but she did her job. She went and reported the resurrection. Mm-hmm. And so as we look at this incredible account, we read these 18 verses. You look at it and you say, um, it is on the basis of this testimony and the basis of Matthew, Mark, and Luke and their testimony, I have faith in the resurrection of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so what that means is that we're set free for, uh, forever from fear of death. Yeah. We're liberated forever from our fear of death. Yeah, that's good news. Well, this has been part two of episode 42 in the book of John. We invite you to join us next time for episode 43 entitled, My Lord and My God, where we'll discuss John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. Thank you for listening to the Two Journeys podcast, and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Thank you for listening to this resource from twojourneys.org. Feel free to use and share this content to spread the knowledge of God and build His kingdom. Only we ask that you do so for non-commercial purposes and in accordance with the copyright policy found at twojourneys.org. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God.